This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What's up, y'all? want to welcome you back to the Hunt Stand Podcast. Season 2, and this is your host, Will Cooper. The Hunt Stand Podcast is your weekly source for insightful conversations with veteran hunters, dedicated outdoor enthusiasts, and top industry personnel. I'm going to have guests on here who are true experts in their field, diving into the captivating world of our industry and the great outdoors. With each episode, you, the listener, will receive invaluable knowledge, tips, and guidance on how to enhance your skills in the wild and in life. Tune in to be entertained, informed, and driven to reach new heights. The Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Yamaha and its full line of class-defining, adventure-seeking motorcycles, ATVs, and side-by-side vehicles. The Hunt Stand Podcast is also brought to you by Springfield Armory and their lineup of Model 2020 Waypoint Rifles. And finally, the Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Stealth Cam. It's never been easier to go wireless with the Command Pro app. Capture high-quality photos and videos of all the action wherever you hunt with Stealth Cam's advanced cameras and data plans tailored to your needs. So make sure to check out their website today, StealthCam.com. Hunt Stand Podcast Season 2. Buckle up. It's going to be a good ride. Let's go. We are good to go, man. Mike, you ready to get this thing rolling? I am. All right, Mike. Well, man, welcome back to the Hunt Stand Podcast. I know we got to talk last year, so it's good to have you back on the podcast today. It's good to be here. Good to join you. Now, you're out in Florida chasing some birds right now, aren't you? I am. I am. I'm sitting here in my truck in, a, uh, I guess, north central, northeast Florida, um, participating in a veteran's wounded warrior hunt it's been pretty cool we've uh we got one bird left to get for a gentleman we hope we can do this afternoon and and then we'll wrap it up sweet how's the hunting been it's been good it's super super hot it's uh like right i'm looking at my uh real feel is 102 right here <laughs> um but the afternoons are pretty brutal the mornings have been nice we mm-hmm. 
we killed uh we got several birds yesterday afternoon but they didn't they didn't turn on until really really late so it was it made for a long you know long afternoon and but it's been fun we be there's there's less you know there's other things to worry about on hunts like this and it's uh it's humbling to be able to to spend time with these guys that have given so much and uh had a great hunt this morning the, the guy the hunter that i had he was done in 15 minutes bird hit the ground read the script was standing in and down the gun barrel it couldn't have been 15 minutes after his feet hit the ground so he was uh he was super excited first Osceola for him and yeah so it's been it's been cool sweet that sounds like a good time man well, man, I want you to introduce yourself to the listeners out there. You know, we've had you on here before. A lot of people know who you are, but for those that don't, kind of give us that 30-foot tree stand view of who you are, Mike. Oh, uh, I'm just a I'm just a kid that grew up in Virginia that loved to <laughs> hunt and fish and was always infatuated with the outdoors and animals and plants and I wanted to understand everything that I was looking at. I wanted to be able to identify everything and uh just kind of led me down the path of of science man I've, I've always been a science geek at heart and mm-hmm. kind of meshed that with my love for wild turkeys and it's 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 allowed me to chase and do something that i really enjoy which is study this bird now where do you tell us where you currently work i'm a professor at the university of georgia i've been there Gosh, I guess I've been there about 10 years now, maybe a little more. Mm-hmm. And before I went to UGA, I, I was a professor at Louisiana State University. So I'm in, this is actually the 30th year I've studied wild turkeys. Wow. Um, so I've been along, I've been in this game a long time. And every time I say that, it makes me realize how old I am. <laughs> you only got a couple of gray hairs, not too many, right? Yeah. Yeah. More than, more than the camera shows. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> what? Man, definitely everything you've been doing for the wild turkey has been awesome, and uh, that's what we're here to talk about today. And uh, specifically, I want to talk about the gobble. Uh, you know, a lot of us that hunt them and chase after them this time of year, you know, I, I think we hear it, we love it, it gets us excited. There's a lot of people that understand the gobble, they know what it is, and then there's some people that they may not necessarily know, and there's a lot more to the gobble than I think a lot, a lot of people know. And so, uh, you know, I guess to kind of start this thing off, you know, tell us about like, what is the gobble and what are the reasons why a turkey gobbles? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, most of us think about a gobble and we think, well, they do it during the spring and they're doing it to attract hens. And, and that is partially true. They, they are gobbling as a way to to attract attention. They they also gobble to kind of maintain their their social hierarchies, if you will. You mm-hmm. know, turkeys have have pretty pronounced dominance hierarchies and social hierarchies, and where you've got you know some some birds that are socially dominant to other birds. So in some ways, the gobble is used as, hey, I'm still over here. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of you stay, you stay where you are and I'll stay where I'm at type of thing. And, um, but you know, turkeys gobble all year round. It's, it's common to hear birds in the fall and in the winter and even in the summer, although I don't, I don't hear gobbling as much when it's super, super hot, mm-hmm. but 
but yeah, I mean, you know, you'll hear birds gobble all year, although obviously they're doing it more often in the spring when they're trying to attract attention and they're trying to, you know, maintain these social hierarchies. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, what, what is a Jake or, I mean, a Tom, like, what are they physically doing or biologically doing to push out a gobble? It's just, a, I mean, it's just a vocalization like you'd, you'd have with, you know, for instance, I'm, I'm sitting here in Florida and there's sandhill cranes on yeah. this property that are, you know, they're, that are making their trilling fluting type call. I mean, it's just a, it's just a forced exhale, you know, basically a scream, if you will, mm-hmm. that, and if, if you kind of think about it the way, you know, turkeys all have a unique voice. We, we, we tend to think of them as all sounding the same, but in their world, they can identify each other based partially on their, on their voice. So, you know, gobbles are distinctive calls. And, and I think all of us have been out there and heard birds that had a, an odd sounding gobble, but, but we don't hear the, the call the way the birds hear the call. So, uh, you know, it, it, it is this forced exhale explosive scream, if you will, that the birds are making and, some of them are much shorter and much longer than, than each other. But, but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty interesting vocalization. If you look in the bird world, there are a lot of birds across the world that have those types of calls, those, those super, super, you know, explosive boom calls and it's over with. Um, And it's, it's designed, obviously it's designed to, to carry through the air. It's designed to, draw attention is designed to allow hens to to locate the source of the sound not mm-hmm. just hey i'm over here but hey i'm right here and and that you kind of put all of how toms behave into a you kind of think about that and you know they gobble a lot in the tree they're they move around in the tree you know you watch birds they they're turning in different directions as they're gobbling they're announcing their presence we know that they pick roost locations at least partially based on sound attenuation, which is what that means is they, they pick roost that are going to allow sound to carry and not be shredded all up by the environment. Um, because that's an important part of their ecology. They, they need that gobble to carry and pierce through the air. And, and most of us, you know, turkey hunters love a calm, crisp morning when that gobble carries like it, you know, like it does. This morning, for instance, here in Florida, um, sounds didn't carry very well. We had, we actually had a bird on the ground later in the morning that we could, we were watching gobble at 250 yards and you couldn't hear it. And it was because the, the, the environment that bird was gobbling in, which was, had all kinds of palm and palmetto and, it just shredded up the sound before even with very little wind it, mm-hmm. it just tore the sound apart to, to where it really couldn't reach us. So that's probably more than you ask, but no, but yeah, there's a, there's a lot to that call. I've always wanted Yeah. Cause it's just like, how does that smaller animal kick out such a freaking loud sound? I never understood how they can do it. And so, I mean, how do they, how do they spit and drum? That is a, that's a, a hotly debated thing in the turkey world if you you know you can put you can get on social media and and ask people hey what is it you know? yeah 
and you'll get all kinds of answers. Um, we don't really know exactly what it is that I, I tend to think from talking with people and being around captive birds mm -hmm. that it's, it's like a force type of exhale, like a, a chuff, you know, like a huff, almost like your, you know, type of thing. Yeah. Um, but, but there's a lot of variation in it too. Um, in fact, the bird that, that we killed this morning, he did, his drum didn't sound like many I've heard. It was more of a chug, almost like a, uh, almost like you, you told somebody something that they were skeptical about and it didn't have the vibration. It just had the, the huff, yeah. if you will. It almost sounded like it was, he was gurgling and I've heard that before, but, but it was pretty unique. So that, that's a, that's a call and a sound we just don't understand fully, but it seems to me to be something that's an exhale that the bird forces out that is, is, is variable from one bird to the next, which I think is partially why sometimes you can you can hear it and feel it and sometimes it, it's not as noticeable to you yeah. at least to me I, I can i can hear it and i can feel it when the bird is close but i'm not really good at telling the direction that it came from unless the bird is super close to me mm -hmm. um and i've talked with other hunters that have told me the same thing some people really struggle to, to pinpoint the direction and that's interesting because the drum and the is, is that's a turkey's way of telling a hen i'm right here i don't need to gobble anymore i'm super close come to this sound so in their world and if you know if you watch birds you know when a tom is strutting you know if a hen is nearby she can she just walks straight to him i mean yeah they can pinpoint the sound much differently than we can but it's just funny to me that that I suck so bad at telling the actual direction of it when in their world it's a call to tell the opposite sex I'm I'm close to you just come to the sound and you'll find me man yeah that I I've struggled as well at times where I will think I hear when I hear that spit and drum I, I'll think it's you know up and to the right of me and then all of a sudden I look over and this bird's to the left. Like it just came out of nowhere. It's like, and you just feel it. In I the, do the exact same thing. Yeah. Yep. You just feel it in the ground. You feel I'm, it in your body. Like I, I've been going with yeah. a friend that he's, he hasn't killed one. And uh, we were out Saturday morning and we had one starting to come in and you could feel it. And he goes, what is that? I go, that's spitting and drumming, man. Like that bird's getting close. And he's like, whoa. So yeah, it's, it's hard to tell sometimes. I'm always off by about 30 or 40 degrees. If I think the bird's straight in front of him, like you say, he's off to the right or he's off to the left or I'm always off. Um, and I've actually, I have a couple of friends that I've one that I hunt with fairly regularly. He can't, mm -hmm. he can't hear it. Really? He, he can't. Yeah. He has no idea. Uh, you can actually tell him, Hey man, this, you know, I hear him drumming and he's like, okay, I trust you because he, he has no clue and has never heard it too, which is really interesting. Just too low of a frequency or I guess, I guess. And, and he, you know, when a bird gets really close to me, I, I can, 
I feel it, you know, mm-hmm. it's like you suck it into your, into your lungs. And, and I joke with him all the time because he is a really good turkey hunter. I was like, man, you'd be, you'd be hell on wheels death if you could, if you could pinpoint, you know, that because you, yeah. you're pretty good at everything else, but, but you're missing out on something that's really special because mm-hmm. you can't hear it. So I'll, I'll Josh with him every, every chance I get about it. But yeah, he has no idea. He, he has no clue that they're doing that behavior. Dang, man. Yeah, it's it's always awesome to get to hear him spit and drum. So next question I got is, you know, what are a lot? What are all the known reasons for a tom to gobble? And the reason I ask is, uh, pretty recently there was a, a video that showed an eagle attacking a tom, and he was gobbling at this eagle. You know, do they often? gobble in defense during threatening situations like that or is that just kind of one of those one-off things i have never observed that myself but i've heard other people tell me that they have seen that Mm -hmm. so i have to think that that yes in some situations a bird decides or or is it's impulsive to him to to gobble back at whatever this this thing you know in its environment is um, you know, we, we, you hear shock gobbling all the time, yeah. you know, well, what is that? Well, we, we think that because of the sounds that birds will often respond to that, it's because those sounds are in the same frequency band that the gobble is in or the yelp is in. So owl calls, crow calls, shotgun blast, thunder in the distance, those are all kind of in the same if you look on a, you know, basically the frequency band, it's all right there close to a gobble. Mm-hmm. But why a bird would gobble to a threat, I I only can surmise that that bird, that individual bird was prompted to do some, you know, that's a behavior maybe he's had since he was a, a younger bird that he yeah. gobbles in defense or gobble. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's. That's pretty cool behavior. I, I and like I said, I've I've been asked that before, and I've been told by people that the other one I can think about was a friend of mine was was out in I believe he was in Kansas or Oklahoma. I know he was hunting Rio's, and he had a he had a hawk swoop down. He he was basically on a fence line, and he had a hen and a tom that were they were working their way towards him, and the hawk came and kind of swooped down at the hen and got her all boogered up and she kind of, you know, got really wiry and, and was putting and everything. And he said the the Tom wouldn't, wouldn't gobble to her, but as soon as he was, she would stop calling, he would gobble, project the gobble out and he couldn't figure out what was going on. And the, the, the hawk had actually gone and lit nearby and he's convinced to this day. And this guy turkey hunts all over the place. Mm-hmm. He's convinced that that bird was gobbling to that hawk that, that's what was occurring, which, you know, maybe so. Dang. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, Next question I got, and I think I, I heard you kind of touch on this a little bit ago. Uh, do you think turkeys can identify other turkeys or individual turkeys by their vocalization or, you know, essentially by their gobble? Yes. Yes. Yeah, if you if you look at you know how turkeys imprint to the hen, 
they do. I mean, she starts vocalizing to those poults before they're hatched. Mm -hmm. There's a reason that she's doing that. She is imprinting them to herself so that they know her voice. So kind of that transcends their life. If you, if you watch turkeys, if you watch broods as they're foraging, even when they're only amongst their own, in other words, they're, they're only their siblings that are around, mm -hmm. they vocalize. And then when they get in these larger brood flocks, they vocalize. And when they get in winter flocks, they vocalize as they're foraging along, they're purring, they're, you know, these soft murmurs, you know, that, that is a way to, to keep tabs with everybody. So it's, it's logical to me that they would and do recognize each other based on their voice, which I think, and, and I'm not the first to say this, or researchers and scientists for decades have said the same thing that would also kind of jive with the notion that I think sometimes the reactions we get from some birds, particularly hens is because they don't know who we are and we're in their environment and they, they challenge us because they don't, they're like, who is, you know, I don't recognize that, that voice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think there's any question. The bird can identify individuals based on, on those sounds. Yeah. They definitely communicate with each other pretty well. It seems they're a lot smarter than I think we give them credit at times. It's just so complex. You know, we look at their, their vocalizations through a, a human lens and, you know, like the late love at Williams, you know, once wrote that there were 28 different vocalizations that turkeys make. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, if you think about it, if you sit and listen to turkeys as they're around you, there's just so many subtle variations to their calls. And some are just so discreet and so murmured. And it just, I, you know, we try to simplify things because that's what we do as people. But it's just it it's so much more complex than we can kind of put our head around. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we look at goblin activity, too, are there known correlations between uh, predator densities and the amount of goblin activity? You know, like if there's more predators, are they going to gobble less or does that even really affect them? Well, what we have seen is the, that relationship is not so much about how many predators are out there, but we have clearly shown that as risk increases, whether it's risk from natural predators or whether it's risk from from humans, mm -hmm. that does that does affect gobbling activity. And, it, and we've also shown pretty clearly that hunting activity and the risk associated with our pressure by far trumps na uh, natural predators. In other words, we have a much greater magnitude of effect on their gobbling activity than everything else in their environment. They perceive hunting pressure and, and hunting activity in a way that it it dictates their gobbling activity, which is why we see dramatic declines in gobbling activity on on heavily hunted sites, yeah. whether it's private or public public mm -hmm. sites. And we see very little. In fact, we 
if you look at the the gobbling data from from one of the sites we work on that's not hunted and it's 200,000 acre site that you see that this perfect bell curve you know that that gobbling spans several months in the spring there's a predictable top of the peak and then it slowly declines and because there is no risk from hunters on that site whereas on the other sites that we work on even if the the hunting pressure is pretty light you still see the signal you still see the drop in gobbling activity that's not just birds are being killed but other birds are curtailing their gobbling activity because they do see a they see a risk out there to doing that behavior which again is drawing attention to themselves mm -hmm. they see risk involved with that so they don't they don't do it as much um yeah man you know that's that's where my next question was going was asking about the hunter impact uh yeah, that definitely makes sense because, I mean, if you think about it in like an area like you're talking about where there's no hunting, I mean, they know there's predators and there's that risk associated. But, yeah, like you said, I mean, it's just the amount of pressure we put on animals is pretty astounding. I mean, you know, in, in those ones where y'all found that they were impacted, were those places that a lot of birds were getting shot or was it just merely the presence of hunters without you know let's say without the sound of the shotgun going off right yeah yeah it was it's a little bit of both but it's mostly associated with just the risk just mm -hmm. the pressure um you see the same signal on you know even on sites that are not as heavily hunted and it's not just vocal birds are dying. It is a combination of vocal birds are dying or being spooked and birds that are also out there that are surviving each day of the season. They're, they're not gobbling as much. And most of their gobbling is in the tree. And, and that's something I have personally observed throughout my entire life of turkey hunting is it's pretty predictable when, when a bird has been pressured, once he hits the ground, it's over with. Yeah. And, and I see it. In fact, we, you know, this property I'm on is, is not heavily hunted, but still, you know, these, these birds hit the ground and they don't talk a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and that does make sense. If you think about it, if you're, they sleep in a tree for a reason and that's because they're free in their minds, they're free of, of risk in that tree why not, if you're going to do something that draws attention to yourself, do it there because that's the safest environment you have in your home range. And when you get down on the ground where things can get you, shut up. Yeah. And don't, don't be, don't be as vocal. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's what the data show. Almost all gobbling is within about 30 minutes. It's either in the tree or about 30 minutes after they hit the ground. Um, once the hunting season starts, it's pretty much all around the roost site. I think 75, 80% of all gobbling is right there around that tree. Are they known? I mean, when it gets into this season, how far would that bird typically travel from a roost in a, in a normal day? Really depends on the subspecies. Um, you know, Easterns we see, they may have during the spring, they may have a thousand, two thousand, couple thousand acre home range, and they tend to use it in pockets. So they'll, 
they may use a roost here tonight and then they're a half mile down the road at another roost tomorrow and they may stay there two nights and then they go over a half mile to the east and so they kind of use their ranges and in, in these pockets and they will travel quite a ways from that roost in a day depending on the circumstances but most of the time they do not think uh you know 500 600 700 meters in a day draw a circle around that roof site if all if possible he's going to stay in that area and that should make sense i mean if he has to travel he's he's at more risk yeah so you know you go out west and you see some ridiculous behaviors like you know people have hunted merriams you know those jokers sometimes will fly down and they're a mile down the road <laughs> you know in an hour um and Rios are, are kind of known to do some of the same things, you know, mm-hmm. Rios will, because their roost sites are so limited, they may only have one or two roost in their, in, in, in their entire range. Sometimes they'll hit the ground and they don't move very far. And sometimes they hit the ground and they're booking it, yeah. you know, headed to some part of the range. And so it really kind of depends if, if you're out West expect to travel away from that tree. And if you're in the East, a lot of times they're not moving that far. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Makes perfect sense. And talking about subspecies, you know, it sounds like each one has their own nuances and what they do and how they do it. Are there certain subspecies that are prone to gobble more than the other? Uh, I can just tell you based on my own experience. I mean, there's no, there's no research showing this quantitatively. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think all things being equal, if birds are not pressured, it really doesn't make a whole lot of difference what subspecies it is. They'll 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 talk to you on up into the morning. I have just found in my own experience that if you're around a Rio roost or multiple roost, it's absurd. It's just it's funny. I, I, I laugh every time I go to Texas on well managed properties and hear the amount of gobbling that occurs, it it causes you to chuckle it to me it does because yeah. you, you know rios live in a really open environment sound travels a really long way particularly if you get it out in places like the hill country where you've got you know you you've got some air between roof sites mm-hmm. um and one group of birds will gobble and the next group will gobble and the next group will gobble and then the, the, the crescendo goes back you know and it's just back and forth and back and forth and and it doesn't stop until they hit the ground and Whereas, you know, this, for instance, this bird we killed this morning, I think, don't quote me on this, but I think he gobbled six times in the tree and he was the only bird that we could hear. So he wasn't really motivated to gobble. He cut me off on the the fourth gobble and he, no, he gobbled five times and he gobbled once on the ground halfway to us. And that was it. Um, so I, I think it depends on how much pressure the birds have gotten to some degree, the subspecies, and then also whether there's other birds around, you know, if there's, if you're the only show in town, there's not really a lot of motivation to gobble a lot. You know, mm-hmm. if you, if you have hens around you and there's no other, you don't have any competition. Once the hens know you're there, why, why continue to just gobble to gobble? That doesn't, yeah. you know, ecologically that doesn't make sense. So I think there's a lot that goes into the, into that. Yeah, yeah. Will a hen gobble? They'll try. 
They'll try. Yeah. There, there's some cool video. If you go online, there's some cool videos of, of hens making, you know, obviously it doesn't sound the roar of a, you know, of a Tom, but mm -hmm. yeah, they, they will make a gobble. Um, in fact, last year, I think it was, it was last spring. I, I posted to my social media accounts about hen strutting and I was actually stunned at the number of messages that I got with, with, you know, with attached videos of hens gobbling. And it was really, it was really interesting. And that's one of the, one of the, as an aside, self-promoting here, but that's one of the things I love most about some of the things I post on social media is that people respond and they have so much information and yeah. it's awesome. It's like, you know, I've seen this once and holy cow, there's 500 messages with, I saw this, I saw this, I saw, and it's just, it just speaks to how variable this bird's behavior is. And yes, but yes, hens will gobble. They'll, they'll do it for sure. Why would they gobble? Is it kind of the same reason as a Tom saying, here I am establishing dominance. Like, why would they do it? I think it is dominance. I think it is dominance. I think, from what I can, the people I've talked to that have, that have, have observed it and several people that are accomplished turkey hunters that have seen it a number of times, it seems to often be associated with she's challenging something. She's either challenging another, a hen, she's challenging a decoy. She's, you know, she's doing, she feels that she needs to assert her dominance and it just, the fact that a gobble can come out when, mm -hmm. you know, all of, all of her vocalizations are these sweet nothings, <laughs> you know, these sweet nothings. And then suddenly she gets irked and boom, you know, here comes this, this thunder. It's, it's really cool. Man, I've just, I've, I really want to see one do that this year. And it almost kind of makes me wonder sometimes now that I'm thinking about it, like how many times I've, there's actually been a situation or two where I've had what I, what was a gobble and a few minutes later, here comes a hen walking in and it's like, okay, well, where, yeah. where was the Tom where, you know, was it a Jake that was following her? Is he hung up somewhere? Like what's going on? So now it's kind of got me thinking, was that her? Yeah. I had one do it one time actually in, in Florida where I'm at now and she was coming she she didn't make a, a gobble, but the sound that came out at the time, I was like, what is that? This was years ago. I was like, what is what was that? <laughs> and and then it did it again. And I was like, so I, I started cutting at at it. Not no in fact, I almost I, the first thing I thought was a Jake. It's mm -hmm. it's gotta be a Jake. And so I, I cut at it and she cut me off, cutting back at me. And then that sound, it wasn't a gobble, but it was in retrospect, it probably, it was a, you know, it was this <laughs> chuffing sound yeah. and sure enough, she comes around the corner and, and I remember thinking at the time that was really bizarre. This, gosh, it's 10 or more years ago. And now I, I think that's probably what she was doing. And because she was really worked up, she was, she didn't know who I was. She wasn't happy. I was there and she she told me in fact she told me walking to me and she told me walking off 
And I tried to, I actually had to spook that bird to get her to go away from me. Mm -hmm. She was really upset. So I, I think that's probably what I heard was the makings of a, a half-hearted gobble. Her try. <laughs> it's, it's always interesting. And I always get a kick out of it when you really get that hen pissed off and she just comes in and she's ready to get after you. Oh yeah. 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 That's, a, that's almost as much fun to me as anything about turkey hunting because you, you can only imagine what's going through her head at that time, mm -hmm. you know, and she's putting herself, if you think about it, she's putting herself in a pickle because she is announcing to the world that she's there. Yeah. And she's loud, you know, yap, 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 you know, and for her to do that as subtle as they usually are, you know, as, as quiet and calm and subdued as their vocalizations are most of the time. And then suddenly you get this obnoxious behavior from them that puts mm -hmm. them at risk. I can only imagine how upset they really are to do that we in fact yesterday it was funny you brought this up we had the if you're a turkey call or a turkey guru you know the name paul busky but oh yeah he was he was hunting yesterday with me and and um and you know paul is an incredible he's an incredible caller but he got this hen so mad she was so mad that and and she would challenge him and of course he would challenge her right back and and she won, of course, because she took the Tom with her and, you know, we never killed him, but, but, uh, which just goes to show even the best will, you know, will sometimes strike out, but, mm -hmm. but yeah, he had her, he had her extremely upset and, and she was letting him know about it for sure. Dang. I wish I could have been there to see that one. Well, I know, I know we're, we're running close on getting out of running out of time here. So kind of the last one I want to ask you, Mike is. Is it possible to differentiate between Jake and Tom Gobbles? And the one, the reason I want to ask you that is, there. I feel like, in my personal opinion, I feel like you almost can. It's like oh, that almost sounded like a Jake. They just kind of have that uh -huh. that Jokerish uh -huh. vibe to it. It's like uh, he. That sounds like a Jake, or you know, definitely a group of Jakes coming in. But you know how or. I guess my, but the best way to ask this question is how did how do you differentiate between those two? I think most of the time, you know, and somebody listening is going to pick me apart, so I'll qualify. I think most of the time you can tell pretty easily. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously, you know, I have seen Jakes that had a gobble that completely fooled me, like completely fooled me. Yeah. When they walked up, it was like, wow, you know, the safety's about to click off. And then I realized it's Jake. And I'm like, no, wow, okay. Um, but I've had many more instances where I think that that sounds like a Jake. And then a minute later, yep, that's that's a pair of Jakes. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the the gobble followed by the yelp, which I've actually heard Tom's do as well. Um you know, the, the staccato, you know, that really raspy kind of it's falling apart on them as it's coming out. Yeah. Um, he's, he's going through puberty. Yeah. You know, but I have, and, and you, you hear on social media sometimes, you know, if he can talk like a man, he can die like a man type of thing. And I, <laughs> you know, whether, whether you agree with that or not, yeah. you know, they're, 
you will get fooled sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, you you'll get a Jake that just has a thunder, and but most of the time, uh, I'm just sitting here thinking back through the years. I, I can remember a couple off the top of my head that were Jakes that completely fooled us. And one time, in fact, cost cost me a lot of hunting time one morning, and it ended up being a, a Jake. Um, but most of the time, it's I think it's pretty clear what you're dealing with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can you can always tell. It's just like you said. It's like that gobble just wants to fall apart on them. It it's real short, and I guess you could say sharp. Like just the the gobbling itself is just like it's a it's a faster frequency if you will yeah yeah pow and it's over with yeah 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 the ones that get you know the ones we all live for is obviously the one that is so deep and goes on that you feel in your chest and and he gets there and when he screams in your face it's like you know you flinch because you've done it so many times but yet it's so cool yes you know and that gobble boom and it's right in your ear and it's like oh my gosh i just felt that in my (laughs) my toes and the top of my head and yeah that's that's the ones you live for yeah that's the one that when you hear him gobble you're like yep that's a 11 inch beard and two inch spurs on that guy that's that one you want (laughs) yeah yeah that was yesterday that that was the bird yesterday we we got a bird. We had a bird that was screaming his head off in our back door, and mm. he would not. Could he only needed to come twenty yards, and he would not come around the corner, and we were pinned down. And but man, that that bird was gobbling so loud, it was just, you know, I could have sat there and listened to that for a week. It was just, it's so visceral when they get that close, and they're they're lighting it up like that. It is. If you don't enjoy that, despite the fact that a trigger didn't get pulled, you don't, you, you need to quit turkey hunting. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, Mike, I know we're out of time here. So any kind of last, you know, is there anything on the gobble we haven't talked about today that you'd love for the listeners to know? Uh, not really. I would say, um, you know, one thing to just pay attention to is, you know, if they shut up on you, sometimes, you know, in their world, the gobble is that's the demonstrative, like, hey, I'm trying to draw attention to myself. But if they stop gobbling, don't give up. Yeah. I, I had that conversation this morning with a, a an accomplished turkey hunter and I fight the temptation too to he stopped gobbling, he's walking off. Mm-hmm. No, just just understand that gobbling is that's the start of the dance. And if you're patient, sometimes the last part of the dance may not have a sound uttered. Yeah. So just if he stops gobbling, just hang in there because in his world, that gobble is the beginning. The end is is more subtle, not always, mm-hmm. but in many cases, the end of the game is much quieter, and so just sit tight. Even if he quits gobbling, don't don't give up hope. Wise words, wise words, my friend. Well, if people want to find you on social media, where they can where can they find you? Yeah, if you're on Facebook, you can just type in my name, and you'll 
you'll find my Facebook page. If you're on Instagram or Twitter, it's at wild turkey doc. That's wild turkey doc. It's all one word. And I actually just launched a website recently too. That's wild turkey lab.com. Uh, that's a lab site that's being sponsored by Mossy Oak. And I'm, I'm literally putting everything I've ever done on that website all the research articles I've written with, with layman summaries of what we found and why it's important. Every social media post I've ever made, every podcast I've ever given is, you know, we're up, we're going to upload that kind of slowly so that Google doesn't penalize us. Um, I'm going to actually create a tab where there's, where people can go and kind of read the history of Turkey science, where we've been, where we, you know, where are we now, where are we probably headed in the future? And, what I really want it to be is kind of a one-stop shop where if you, if you're interested in Turkey science, you go to this website, you click on the search engine and you can find what you want and you can find it in an easily digestible, easy to understand, concise way. Um, so yeah, if you're interested, check it out wildturkeylab.com and keep checking it out because we're adding content every, every few days. Heck yeah. I'll be sure to definitely drop that down in the description below for all the listeners. So Mike, man, really appreciate your time today. You're in the middle of a turkey hunt in Florida. Hope you get that last bird today. So just thanks again for taking the time today to podcast with me. Not a problem, man. Not a problem. And we're going to battle the heat, and I, I think we'll we'll get it done. It's it's a it's a worthy enough cause to go sweat for sure. This guy, this guy deserves it. Heck yeah, man. Good luck.